so thrilled that Matt had asked me to speak, and it means a lot to me. I, I'm not a professional speaker, but I enjoy the challenge, and I enjoy being with you guys. I was with some of y'all in uh, Orlando, and I also noticed that there's a lot of love that goes on, and I think one of the things that's most important is that we learn to, to love one another and serve uh, through our love, and I certainly sense that. I really appreciate uh, the privilege of being here. It means a lot to me. So I'd like to share this morning um, several several things from my heart. I, uh, I normally prepare really well. I write every word I say down, and I, I write a lot. I have a book back there that you guys are welcome to. But I want to share some things from my heart as well. So if I get off script a little bit, I hope that's okay. If you guys don't mind me being a little more vulnerable. But several things on my mind. <clears throat> One is that it's okay to be rich. Those that are rich beyond all splendor, all for lo love's sake, became poor. And those are uh, that's a line from a song that Keith and Kristen Getty may sing tonight. I don't know. I hope they do. But what that means is that Christ is the richest that's ever lived. He, he roamed the, the world. He's the richest that will ever be. Just think of the riches of the hands of Jesus who owns everything. But he chose to leave his wealth to come to be with us. And so what I want to share today is that it's okay to have money. It's what you do with it that counts. So I think that we've been taught in church many times that, you know, money is, is a problem. And money can be a problem. But I want to encourage you gentlemen uh, to know that God gives us our wealth. He gives us our ability to generate wealth. And it's a good thing. Um. I want to share a little bit about some of the guys that were wealthy in the Bible, very briefly, and then I want to share a testimony. It's hard for me to read my notes, I'm sorry, but you guys bear with me. So let's, let's look at uh, one of the first guys th that was wealthy, uh, and I think it was Peter. Peter was a wealthy man because he owned a, a fishing concession, right? And if you've ever been to Israel, you would probably see that Peter had a very large house, which was unusual. Um, he, he obviously had partners. He probably had some employees, maybe. But let's, let's look at Peter as a wealthy guy. Another guy would be Matthew, right? Matthew was uh, a tax collector, but he's a wealthy guy. He became the apostle that Jesus entrusted to write down so much for us. What about the rich young ruler? I love the rich young ruler. Because I am the rich young ruler, I have to admit. I struggle. I struggle to give everything I own and, and lay down everything I have for the sake of Christ. We don't know much about the rich young ruler. I love the story because the rich young ruler, we, we are taught in many times in church that, you know, uh, he didn't give up and come follow Jesus. And so he was, you know, it's in that a shame. But... Let's look at it from the rich young ruler's uh, point of view. When, when Jesus saw him, he loved him. Did you notice that in Mark? He said he looked down and loved, loved the rich young ruler because he had been following God's principles most of his life. And I just 
suppose that maybe he might have been rich because he did follow those principles. Now, we know that he walked away, but let's think about that for just a minute because if we were confronted by Jesus right now in this room and he said, give me everything you have, come follow me, would we be willing to lay down everything we have and come follow Jesus? That would be a hard decision. And so I don't fault the rich young ruler because I am the rich young ruler at times. But what I'm learning to do is to slowly be willing to give to the poor so that I will have treasures in heaven and then I come follow Jesus. What about Zacchaeus? I love Zacchaeus. He's probably short like me. He probably came, you know, I just, I love Zacchaeus because, you know, he, he too said, hey, I've, I've been screwing people all my life, but I'm going to make it right. I'm going to give four times, and then I'm going to come follow you. What about the owner of the house where Jesus went for the Last Supper? He must have had to have margin. He had servants. He had a big room. He had the ability to take care of them. What about sweet Nicodemus? You know, we don't know a lot about him, but he was truly seeking uh, Jesus. Joseph's fair Mathia, bless his heart. You know, he, he was the one that had enough gravitas that he could go into Pilate and ask for the Bible, I mean, ask for the body of Jesus. So it's good to have margin. It's good to have power. And then, of course, Barnabas. We love Barnabas, right? Went with Paul. And then um, Theophilus, um, who was commissioned by Luke. So there are, there are examples in the Bible which I think we... We want to look at that it's okay to use your wealth for the kingdom. I want to, I want to switch a little bit and, and turn it a little bit to thinking about wealth, is, wealth and using your wealth is not just about amount. You see, in God's kingdom, I don't believe the amount is ever an issue. Amount of money. It's not that you give away the big sums. It's your heart. And so, think about three rich, poor women. Wealth in God's kingdom is upside down to the world's belief system. During biblical times, women were treated as second-class citizens, as we all know. Jesus honored them, though. He honored common women and used their example for us to follow in our journey. In learning about these three women, I realized four things. That amount of money is not the primary issue in God's economy and kingdom. My generosity needs to be extravagant. God doesn't need my money, but he desires my heart. And he wants me to experience the complete security found only in him. I think of these three women. The first one is the, the, who I think to be one of the most uh, important stewards of God's kingdom. And she very quietly would sit at the temple. And she very, in a shy way, went up and put two copper coins in the offering. You remember that story? She very quietly went up, hoping that no one would notice, but Jesus did. As all the others were chunking in big 
big amounts of money. Jesus noticed this poor woman. And Jesus commended her for all eternity because we even tell her story today. Isn't that amazing? If we could do something that would be so profound that the world would know even 2,000 years later. And that woman put in all she had. And now let's think about that for a minute. Jesus said that no one could have put in more. Isn't that amazing how rich this woman was? Because she put it all in. Second woman is, is a woman uh, that wanted to be extravagantly generous. Her name was Mary, and she came, and while Jesus was reclining, she poured perfume or lard on his, or nard, I said lard, sorry, <laughs> nard on his head to anoint him because she did not realize what she was doing because she was anointing him for his burial. And yet what a beautiful example of using extravagant generosity. Now I calculated, I, I, I'm not real sophisticated in no exact exchange rate, but I calculated that that, that perfume was probably $20,000 a year's wage of someone that, that was a common worker. Can you imagine spending something that extravagant? You know, giving up a year's wage for something? Well, she did. And she, she did that, and again, she has been remembered for 2,000 years for this lovely act of generosity. And then the third woman I'd like to share about is a woman that was known for her sin. She, she was broken. And she was someone that, that, was, that people scoffed at and didn't want her around. And she came in at the feet of Jesus and began to anoint his feet with her tears. And then wiping it with her hair. What an act of humility. But yet, one of total worship of the Lord. I think these three women represent to me the kind of stewardship and the wealth that I want in God's kingdom. I, I don't want to be a big shot, you know, a rich guy that keeps my money to the end. I, I want to stand before Jesus and be commended like these three women are, that we today, 3,000 years, I mean 2,000 years later, are talking about them. And yet it didn't have anything to do with amount of money, but it had to do with their heart. So I, I wanted to share that with you. It means a lot to me. Um, I, I really uh, want us to think in terms of our stewardship as not being about donating. I want our stewardship to be about giving our lives, just like these three women did, like Zacchaeus did. You know, Zacchaeus' life was turned upside down. Peter, obviously, uh, and, and, and I don't know about the man that, that loaned him the house. I don't know anything about him. I'd like to know. Once we go to heaven, I'll talk to him too. I want to. I want to talk to all these guys. But we want to be known uh, for these things. I think that in God's kingdom, it's so important to look at things upside down. Um, I'm gonna get a drink. Is that okay, guys? Sorry about that. So. I got up early. You know, architects don't get up early. They just stay up late. Right, Matt? So. <clears throat> so I wanted to share that with you, but I want to deviate a little bit <clears throat> and, and share some other things from my heart. I want to tell you a little bit 
about my testimony, and then I want to share some things I've learned. I really wanted to share about the richness because I think we do, as men, sometimes think, well, is it okay to be rich? Yes, it is. It's absolutely good because we become the hands and feet of Jesus. Only if we have margin can we help those that need to be helped. And I think that as businessmen, uh, that we have two primary objectives that God has called us to. And one is righteousness and the other is justice. Righteousness to allow those around us to flourish and justice so that we can take care of those that can't take care of themselves. Now, as, as Matt said, I'm an architect. Um, I'm also an executive producer. You met John Irwin, I think, and, and uh, also uh, Hank. Did Hank speak here as well? Yeah. I love those guys. I met John in his 20s and uh, became uh, a partner with him and, and the Irwin brothers in the early days, uh, about 15 years ago. I helped he and Andy get started and then um, became their chairman of the board and partner with them. Uh, I'd like to take credit for them. I just got them started. They're, the, they're the, the best there are in the industry. But I'm an executive producer of, of not only movies, but also a little bit in the music business as well. But I consider myself a venture capitalist in God's kingdom. Um, I, I, I am an architect, but I had some side hustles. And now that I sold the firm to younger partners, I stepped out of the way and, and let them run it. Uh, but I wanted to do other things that would build God's kingdom. Not that I wasn't building God's kingdom in the, in the firm. I was trying to do both at the same time. But now that I'm an old guy and I've lost my memory, I needed to get out of the business. So anyway, anybody relate to that? Anyway. Thank you. Thanks for being honest. <coughs> so, anyway. I don't remember how I got here. Uh, no, anyway. I'd like to tell you a little bit. I, I became, I, 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 I came to salvation at age nine at a Pentecostal church. My neighbor asked me to go to church. So I went, I went to and accepted Jesus at nine years old. At that time, I felt a cleansing of my heart. I began to seek Christ, though, when I was about 16, and the way I did that, I started reading through the Gospels. I read them over and over and over again. Once I got to the, the epistles, though, I didn't understand what I was reading, so then I'll just go back to the Gospels. So as a 16-year-old, I just kept do-looping the Gospels. I decided to follow Christ, though, when I was about 19 in college. I was heavily influenced by Campus Crusade and their program. Upon graduation from college, I was confronted with the decision whether to go be on staff with a Christian organization, go to seminary, or cemetery as I call it, go to seminary, or go into the professional business of architecture. And I did the latter because that was where my heart was. Four years after graduate school, I started my own firm, my own architectural firm. And over time, I began to build a, a very large, profitable economic engine. But you know, fellas, I began to look in the rearview mirror wondering if I had made the wrong turn. Kept looking in the rearview mirror. Did I miss ministry? But what I realized was that I am in ministry in my architectural business and in what I do. Is there anything more holy than running your business according to godly principles and loving those that you serve? I don't think there's anything more holy. I think that's, that is critical. What I realized I was in ministry and that what I was doing was just as important as being a pastor. 
Because of the size of this economic engine that I built, a form of very subtle arrogance and pride began to develop and creep into my heart. Now this arrogance led to some sin and into some brokenness. But you know, I want to tell you and all, all you guys that are being real will realize that brokenness is a good place to be. Because then we look up to the Lord. It's especially a good place to be in brokenness if you're redeemed. And then you really follow Christ desperately as a desperate man. I've learned a couple things during this period of brokenness over the last 10 years. And one of them was as I, I love to sit on my, my, uh, my front porch in the mornings. I like to watch the sun come up. I don't do it every morning. Some mornings I get up early and go run. Other mornings, uh, and I can't get up at four, guys, have a quiet time. I'm sorry. I'm not that dedicated. But, um, I do, do, if I run, I get up early. If I don't, I get up early and, and sit on my front porch. I'll be vulnerable. I'll be. But I learned a couple things in the last couple years that I want to share with you that are very personal and very important. One was that as I was sitting on my porch a couple years ago, I realized that um, that I would, if I retired from my firm, that I would lose to some degree a platform who I was. I would lose um, really kind of. I would not have a platform. I wouldn't have a place to go to work. I wouldn't have uh, a reputation. And it really, it really shook me up because I realized that what I was, what I was doing is I was, I was isolated, and I was, and so what the Lord really showed me was, He said, "I want you to just come follow me. You won't have a platform." You won't be a big-time guy. You don't have a firm. But just come follow me. And so I decided to do that. It was one of the very first times that I've really been desperate to do that. He also shared with me in my time sitting that suffering would be coming. And I don't want to suffer, y'all. I'll be, be really honest with you. I'm not interested in going through suffering. <laughs> I... I enjoy my starch shirt and and uh, you know a nice car and I enjoy a nice home. But he began to say, you know, are you really willing to suffer with me and suffer for me? And I had to sit there and battle with the Lord uh, on the front porch for almost a whole summer because I, I got to be honest with you, I, I thought I was you know all in. Oh, yeah, Lord, I'm willing to suffer and die for you. But when it comes down to reality, am I really willing to do that? And so I didn't, I didn't agree to suffer. I acquiesced, if you know what I mean. I just finally gave up. I said, I can't handle it anymore. I guess so, Lord. I acquiesced. And he seemed to say to me, okay, that's good. That's the first step. And I think and, and when the suffering might come from me, uh, what happens if you're canceled? What happens, you know, the suffering, it might be light suffering. It might be uh, uh, what happens if you don't have a job, you know, just whatever the insecurities would be. Well, right after that, Lord was so kind to me because he allowed me to experience what I call light suffering. 
And let me tell you what it was. The first thing was, <clears throat> as the firm that I had started and had sold to young partners, they actually asked me to leave. I thought I was going to have an office in the back, you know, just kind of hang out. No, they didn't want Dad reaching over the back seat grabbing the steering wheel. So I was asked to leave my firm. Okay, well, that's, that's hard. That's not necessarily embarrassing, but it's hard. Um, you, could, you could say, well, I'm retiring and I'm going to go do this. No, I wanted to stay. I wanted to hang out in the back. Secondly, my mother died and my mother-in-law died. Well, that's, that's not really suffering, but it happened at once. Then a tornado hit my house. <laughs> and it wrapped around the house and imploded it, took off the roof uh, in Dallas. And so that's hard, y'all. The same tornado that took away my house took away my church because it came from the church to my house. So now I no longer have a place to go to church. I don't have a place to live, so I have to go live in an apartment. They, they reconstruct the house. Then COVID hit. <laughs> and so I'm stuck in an apartment without a church, you know, in, a, in an apartment without a church, without a firm, and I'm sitting there and I can't get my printer to work. <laughs> I don't have any IT people. You know how it is? You go to the office and someone, you always, something doesn't work, you always ask someone. Well, I didn't have anyone to ask. That's suffering light. What the Lord's really talking about to me was when we have real suffering come upon us in our country or whatever, which I think we'll, we'll, we'll have the privilege. And so I've struggled with that, guys. I mean, I went through suffering light, and I was, it was so gracious of the Lord to allow us to do these things. But um, as, I, as I think about the times ahead, I'm wondering, am I still really willing to suffer? And so I was sitting on the porch the next summer, and the Lord said, I want you... Um, to pray for courage so when you do suffer that you'll have courage to stand firm. And that was a hard prayer for me because I still don't want to suffer, y'all. I'm sorry. I don't want to be canceled. I don't want them to take away my iPhone and my Internet access or whatever, um, credit cards, whatever. And then the third, a little bit later after I said, okay, Lord, I, I, I am, I'm just going to pray for courage because I really can't handle this, I don't think. So I started, you know, praying that you'd give me the courage. And then he said to me, it seemed like uh, later uh, last summer, this is all last summer, it's pretty, pretty raw still. He said, I want you to pray for the privilege to suffer for my sake. And that's hard, guys, because I don't know what that means in the future. So, I share these things are pretty intimate to me, they're pretty important, but I wanted to, to be real with you, kind of my testimony of what, what the Lord has showed me. The other thing that um, I wanted to, to share is that um, two more things that I've learned this year, that those are things that I, that I experienced on my front porch. Also on my front porch, I learned two things to, this year, and I want to share those two things. I, I think they're kind of crazy, but, but when you die, all your stuff goes out on the curb, we're in a dumpster. <laughs> my, uh, I learned that the hard way because my, my mother passed away and I cleaned out most of her stuff, but uh, she was living in a house with my aunt. And so 
when my aunt passed away this past year, I had to finish cleaning out the house that they were in. And I realized how much of our stuff goes in the dumpster. It's, it's amazing. Stuff that we have, Mary Dell and I have, uh, we think, oh, the kids will love this. You know, our kids don't want our stuff. I mean, I got some antiques that are pretty cool. Man, they don't, they don't even want my, our, our artwork. I mean, I've got some nice artwork. You know, stuff I really like. They don't want our artwork. They, all our stuff's going to go in the dumpster. So that, that helped me think through, what are we doing on this earth with all our stuff? Let's use all of our stuff for the kingdom. doesn't mean to get rid of it all and throw it away. It just means just think through your stuff and your money and your time. Secondly, I've, I've, I've learned that to invest in God's kingdom is, is really important and that we ought to use capital to invest in God's kingdom. And what I learned this year was that when I invest in God's kingdom, I'm talking about financially invest either through not-for-profit work or through for-profit work. And, and one of the things I do, I don't distinguish between the two. I, I invest out of both checkbooks. I invest in for-profit things that build the kingdom and not-for-profit things that build the kingdom. It doesn't matter. But one of the things I, I worried about when I, when I invest, I always want to get my money back. Anybody want to get their money back when they invest in something? I, I mean, everybody does, right? But what happens, and this is what I learned, is if you invest in God's kingdom in, in a for-profit business and you don't get your money back, is that still okay? And I discovered it really is if you're building the kingdom. It's not a donation, but it could be looked at as an internal investment that will be rewarded when we stand before the Lord. I'd like to conclude. Am I good on time still? Okay. I don't want to run over because um, it's really boring. Ten minutes? Okay, I won't take that long. I promise. Um Last thing I'd like to share, and I know these are a little bit random, but these are things I wanted to share. Not, I, I did some other preparation, but I really wanted to share these things because they were uh, things on my heart. I'm sure many of you have read your Bible and the stories just as I have. However, I have a slight problem with some of the, the stories that I read in the Bible. It's because when I read the stories of Jesus and his disciples, I have a casual belief. Now, I believe in the miracles that Jesus performed. I, I actually believe they actually happened. Do, does everyone believe that those miracles really happened? I mean, I, I actually believe those. <coughs> Excuse me. But although I believe in the miracles actually happened, I don't believe in the power of those miracles in the same way that the apostles did. Now, have, have, have anyone seen uh, the TV series The Chosen? Has, has there, most everyone, a lot of people, how they bring that to life, how they bring um, uh, those miracles to life and, and how that happens, the background. I know it's historical fiction, but, boy, it just brings it to life. Well, I didn't believe in the power. I, I, I struggle with believing in the power behind those miracles the same way that the apostles who were present that can you imagine what those 12 disciples felt when they watched Jesus heal cast out demons walk on water change the water to wine and then to feed thousands 
to have been presence, present would have been a fantastic earthquake of the soul. It'd be a shaking of your core. It's no wonder that those apostles that walked with Jesus, that witnessed those miracles, followed him even to their own death and martyrdom. Now, if, if I truly believe these things happen, then what's the difference had I not been there? I need to believe as the apostles believed. And now I must follow Christ no matter my personal cost, even to my own death and martyrdom and my own suffering. <clears throat> you know, I no longer ask the Lord to help me to finish strong. Have ever, has everyone kind of heard that phrase? Don't we use that phrase a lot? I want to finish strong. No, I ask him now to help me complete my mission on this earth. <clears throat> you know, I, when, when finishing strong to me means uh, living a good life, kind of having applause at the end. Everybody comes to your funeral and say, what a great guy, he didn't screw up. <laughs> no, what I think, for me, completing my mission, my mission might entail me running into the fray and into the battle rather than shrinking away. It might require me to stand firm when all those around me will run. It will require me to give up all I own to come follow Christ. So in order for me to complete the mission that God has given me, just as the military would, when the military guys go into battle, they're not thinking about anything but completing the mission. And some of those guys will be injured and maimed and some of those guys will be killed and they actually know that but they're going to go in and complete the mission I want to be one of those special forces kind of guys but to do that I must abide in Christ and not simply have a quick devotional in the mornings but spend real time with him but spend real time with my precious Savior I know that for me to complete my mission I must love my wife, Mary Dell, and to love my children and my grandchildren. I've only got 10 of them. <clears throat> and I may fall. And if I do, then when I sin, what I need to do is find a friend. I need to find one of the band of brothers that I'm with and go down into my basement with me and shine the light shine in every corner because darkness has to flee when we shine the light down on it and then I can go forward because I'm redeemed and I had a buddy do it you know it's good to be broken and it's good to focus on completing the mission at any cost and to do so I have to learn to abide in Thank you. I, I, I kind of got off script.